This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. There's um, a very limited public tolerance for this kind of behavior. The warning from Vancouver police about the city becoming Western Canada's epicenter of demonstrations. Plus... The unknown of not knowing where she is is like, just kind of tears me up. The plea from those still searching for Shannon White six months after she went missing and... Very long. <laughs> Endless. Endless. Long lines and tired tourists. The advice to passengers amid travel tie-ups at YVR. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Tens of thousands had eagerly anticipated the return of the popular BMO Vancouver Marathon this morning. But shortly before the runners were set to take off from the start line, a bomb scare forced its delay. Thousands of participants had gathered at the start line near Queen Elizabeth Park for the marathon at about 7 a.m. when they were informed that a police incident was delaying their start. Turns out a suspicious device near Science World had been left along the half-marathon route. The emergency response team was called out and determined the device was not at risk of exploding and did not pose an immediate danger to the public. But the race was delayed by about an hour while the device was rendered inert. It's very concerning. Um, we believe, on all, it, it appears that this, was, uh, this device was placed there strategically to cause fear, to cause panic, likely to possibly also uh, disrupt the, the, the start of the event. And uh, it did delay the event while our investigators uh, uh, did um, uh, process the, the scene. And uh, we don't have any uh, suspects at this point. Uh, we're still in the evidence collecting phase of the investigation. Um, major, our major crime section is involved in the investigation. Our forensic identification unit is involved in the investigation. And our operations division is also involved um, gathering evidence right now, um, attempting to uh, determine who did this and why. The marathon started about an hour later with no other reported issues other than roads reopening to traffic an hour late. If it seems like Vancouver is seeing more protests of late, you're not wrong. Police say demonstrations in the city have steadily increased since 2020, which saw Wet'suwet'en solidarity and Black Lives Matters protests, followed by anti-mask rallies once the pandemic began. As Kristen Robinson reports, the VPD is warning the public to expect more protest disruptions this year and a higher bill for taxpayers. From anti-mandate convoys to counter-protests. No, and now, old-growth protesters parking themselves on busy bridges and highways. Vancouver is the epicenter for protests in British Columbia for sure, and in many cases, Western Canada. The warning from Vancouver's top cop, buckle up and expect these scenes to drag out. 
Hang on to your seats because we're in for a bit of a ride with protests here in Vancouver. The ride started in 2020 when a dramatic increase in demonstrations cost the department about $2.5 million to police. The VPD spent well in excess of $3 million on more than 800 protests in 2021, and those numbers are expected to be higher this year, it says, as environmental protesters change their game. A lot of the fight now is coming from the rural areas back into the cities because they feel like they get more bang for their buck. While police support peaceful, legal protest, they say those disrupting traffic by blocking bridges and roads will face arrest. We recognize that it's not lawful and that there's um, a very limited public tolerance for this kind of behavior. Sergeant Steve Addison says all protests require extra officers to be brought in, often on overtime. We just don't have the resources available on duty uh, to deal with everything else that's happening in the city right now when uh, we're stretched as thin as we are. If the first four months are any indication, 2022 may be even more taxing on VPD staffing and budgets. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Vancouver police are investigating to determine whether Gastown's most famous landmark was intentionally damaged by vandals. The beloved steam clock on the corner of Camby and Water Streets is still chiming, but the iconic fixture is behind yellow tape after one of its glass panes was shattered overnight. Tourists are stopping to take a closer look at the damaged glass on the side. The steam-powered clock was built in 1977 to cover a steam grate that was part of the city's distributed steam heating system. After a three-month repair in 2014, the steam clock returned to Gastown in early 2015. Police have dispatched their forensic ID unit to gather clues at the scene and are canvassing for witnesses and surveillance. It has been 10 months since the village of Lytton burned to the ground and the frustration of residents is boiling over. Residents taking to social media to vent, posting pictures of their ruined properties and lamenting that only the weeds seem to be making a comeback. They were forced to flee on June 30th when flames tore through the community and the adjacent reserve. Work to remove debris started in March on public land, but private homeowners are not seeing the same progress on their properties and they're blaming red tape. I guess I've kind of gotten over the anger stage, but I just wish we'd see some things happening a lot faster. We saw the reserve lands cleaned up so quickly. We saw the Coquihalla built, you know, rebuilt within a few weeks. And, uh, and here we sit. The province says debris removal is complete on municipal lands, and it doesn't know any reason why insurance companies can't start removing debris from private property. To the interior now, firefighters are battling a wildfire in the Horseshoe Bay area of the Shoe Swamp. BC Wildfire says the blaze has consumed about 15.7 hectares and is classified as out of control. There are 20 personnel working on the fire and helicopters are bucketing water. Members of the Anglemont Fire Department are assisting with water shuttling for ground crews. No structures are at risk at this time, and the cause of the fire is not known. 
Richmond RCMP are asking you to be on the lookout for a high-risk missing woman. Kylie Fedoruk was last seen yesterday in the 10800 block of Springwood Court in Richmond. Police say she hasn't been seen or heard from since. The 20-year-old is described as being 5 feet 3 inches tall with a slim build with long brown hair and blonde highlights. She was last seen wearing a black jacket, gray sweatpants, Converse shoes and carrying a pink backpack. Anyone with information is asked to call Richmond RCMP. It has been exactly six months since a Kamloops woman vanished on her way to work. Volunteer searchers are still scouring for clues in Shannon White's disappearance, while her heartbroken father is hopeful his daughter will be found. Our report is from CFJC News. This is my daughter, Shannon. Shannon White, she's gone. She went missing. Shannon White was last seen on the morning of November 1st, 2021, as she left for work. She would never arrive and later declared missing. What followed was an intense search and rescue, an RCMP investigation into her disappearance. Every day it's a heartache and heartbreak and, and just the unknown of not knowing where she is is like just kind of tears me up as well as my family and her good friends. Six months later, the efforts to find even a trace of Shannon continues for those closest to her and those in the community as the investigation remains active. Shannon White still is missing and the investigation is still open and it's ongoing. Um, so just reminding the public to please keep their eyes open for anything that could help in the investigation. The search for Shannon has taken the teams west, southwest and north of Kamloops with no sign of the young woman turning up. Not known. Where she is for sure is, is just, it just eats you up. As the weather improves and backcountry recreational activities begin, hikers, bikers and everybody else is asked to keep an eye out for clothing, jewelry or anything else that seems out of place. And maybe when they're stopped to rest, maybe just go and have a quick look around off the trails and off the pass and see if they can find anything. Gerald, along with Shannon's dog Buddy, walked down to the Riverside Park to place a purple lock on the Kamloops Hope sign that Shannon showed him during a visit last July. If people come down and see this, maybe that'll trigger something for them to help remember her and, and always hope that we can find her. We have every confidence. The people here have confidence in the fact that one day we're going to find her and, and we can move forward from there. Michael Reeves, CFJC News. In Kelowna, RCMP are investigating an attack that left two men injured in a house. Officers were called to a home in the 200 block of Nickel Road just after 8.30 yesterday morning, following reports of a man being assaulted by multiple people. A 33-year-old man was found at the scene with serious injuries. A 41-year-old man also found with minor injuries from bear spray. No one has been arrested, but police believe it was a targeted attack and there is no risk to the public. B.C. Liberal leader Kevin Falcon is getting set to challenge the B.C. government in the legislature after winning a seat on Saturday night. How is everyone? All right. Falcon celebrated his win with supporters in the riding of Vancouver Quilchenna. He captured about 59% of the vote, handily defeating his closest challenger, the NDP's Jeanette Ash. In his victory speech, the Liberal leader said he'll take action on health care, housing affordability and making the party more diverse. The great thing is the public will never have any um, lack of clarity about where I stand or where we will be standing on big issues. 
one of the things uh, that are, are most important to me, one of the reasons I ran for office, is because I want to introduce the idea of big, bold ideas again. That the way we challenge problems is not incrementalism, but by coming up with bold solutions that will help us move in a different direction. And Saturday's by-election isn't the end of the by-elections in B.C. in the foreseeable future. Our Keith Baldry is joining us now with a look ahead to the upcoming race in Surrey South. So, Keith, here we go again. Here we go again. <laughs> Going to be a different uh, type of campaign, though, or certainly an interesting result, because Vancouver Cochana, very easy uh, B.C. Liberal riding to win historically. That was their ninth consecutive uh, victory, actually 10th consecutive victory, include two by-elections there. So no surprise what Ke Kevin Falcon took that seat last night. Uh, definite, di different story in Surrey South, potentially. This is be vacant because Stephanie could do the long-term, uh, long-time MLA stepping down to become the new federal uh, accessibility commissioner. And take a look at the 2020 election. You'll see what I'm talking about here. So the BC Liberals won the seat under Cadu with uh, almost 13,000 votes, 47.4% of the vote. NDP, though, close behind with 43%, and the Greens a distant third. What's interesting here is the NDP vote went up about 3,000 votes from 2017 to 2020. The demographics are changing out in Surrey and much of that part of Metro Vancouver, which is why the NDP was able to pick up historical wins in places like Langley, Abbotsford, and Chilliwack, where they never won before, and they almost won in Surrey-White Rock, which is even further south than uh, Surrey South. So again, the by-election has not been called. Premier John Horgan has six months to call it. You can be sure that the NDP is looking around for some kind of star candidate, and that's going to be a much more competitive contest than last night's contest in Vancouver, Colchena. All right, thanks for teeing it up for us when and if it is called. Thanks for that, Keith. The province is set to introduce new legislation tomorrow to address systemic racism. An announcement scheduled for Monday morning at the B.C. Legislature in Victoria will include improved government programs for more people in our province. Premier Horgan will be in attendance along with Rachna Singh, the Parliamentary Secretary for Anti-Racism Initiatives, and members of the Hogan's Alley Society and First Nations Summit. Back in March, disturbing data from Stats Canada revealed Canada is experiencing a spike in hate crimes. Residents of Blind Bay and Sorrento have voted down a proposal to be incorporated into a municipality. Preliminary results from Saturday's vote show 88% of voters rejected the plan. This means the area will remain under the governance of the Columbia Shoe Swap Regional District. Official results of the vote will be announced by the chief election officer, on May 4th. And after the break, travel tie-ups. What officials are advising to passengers with long lineups and frustrated travelers at YVR. And later, some search crews say hikers still aren't heeding their warnings, leading to preventable rescue operations. Anyone going through Vancouver International Airport recently is having to deal with major lineups, most notably through the security screening. As Grace Key reports, it's not looking like the delays will be easing anytime soon. I've never seen this in my life and I travel quite often. It's actually pretty ridiculous. A, B and C screening will be down this way. I don't see the end of the line. It's my first time here. Yes. I have no idea where I'm going. Long security lines awaited travelers when they arrived at Vancouver International Airport. I guess we just have to be patient. It winded all the way from domestic to the international departure area. Keep going, please. Wait times were about an hour and this 
wasn't the worst of it. On Thursday, passengers waited up to an hour and a half. The problem, a staffing shortage with CATSA, the federal agency responsible for passenger screening. Hello, bunch of folks, if you're just joining the security line. YVR is trying to help move the lines along with staff directing passengers, but they are limited in what they can do. Ultimately, this is a security function. Uh, that is the responsibility of CATSA on behalf of the federal government. And while we can do these mitigation measures, they are by definition mitigation. They don't address the core problem and the core challenge is staffing. A written response from CATSA reads, prior to the pandemic, resources could be cross-utilized more efficiently between the transborder and domestic and international checkpoints due to staggered passenger peaks. As air travel recovers, we are observing simultaneous peaks, which can result in passengers flooding more than one security checkpoint at a time, making the redistribution of resources to address these passenger volumes more challenging. Also, increasingly, passengers are opting to travel with more carry-on bags. Help is on the way. New screening officer recruits for Vancouver should be ready to join their colleagues within the next few weeks. There's an end to the line, finally. (laughs) Until then, domestic travelers are being advised to arrive at least two hours early, international three hours, and get all your liquids, electronics, and metal objects ready to help speed up security. Grace Key, Global News. Coming up, an archbishop's apology. A Saskatchewan residential school survivor's reaction on the second day of talks with the head of the Anglican Church. And later, it's still winter on the mountains. Search and rescue teams sounding the alarm over warnings being ignored. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Following multiple delays, a public inquest into the death of an Abbotsford man in Saskatchewan has now been rescheduled. On May 21, 2020, Samuel Uko died by suicide in Wascana Lake near Regina earlier that day. The 20-year-old had visited Regina General Hospital twice. His family has said he had been struggling with mental health issues. They filed a lawsuit against the Saskatchewan Health Authority claiming negligence. The SHA paid the family more than $81,000 in damages under the Fatal Accidents Act. The inquest into his death is now set for May 30th to June 3rd. The Archbishop of Canterbury has apologized to residential school survivors in Saskatchewan this weekend for the horrors they experienced under the Anglican Church. Global's Nathaniel Dove spoke with a survivor to find out if he accepts the apology. Tom Roberts has been here many times before. It's the site of the Prince Albert Residential School he was forced to attend. Beating us into it, destroying our culture, our way of life, and most of all, our connection with our families. Today, he says, it feels different. The weight I had when I went there yesterday is pretty well all lifted now, and I feel good. The Anglican Church ran dozens of schools across Canada between 1820 and 1969, including the one Roberts was at. On Saturday, 
He and many others told Archbishop Justin Welby about the physical, emotional, and sexual abuse they suffered, and the top bishop of the Church of England apologized. I am sorry. I am more sorry than I can say. It is the rawest, wickedest, most terrible thing to molest a child while you read them the Bible. He said it. A lot of us had tears in our eyes when he said it. I had. My wife took a big sigh of relief. In a service Sunday, the Archbishop echoed his message. And that is the tragedy of the schools, of the residential schools. The mystery of no one objecting. The mystery of no one saying, this is outrageous. Roberts accepts the Archbishop's apology, but says there is a long way to go to heal the damage. He wants as many healing lodges built on reserve as there were churches. For now, though, he says he can rest. I'm relieved. I'm happy. I can go home. I can sleep well at night. <laughs> Nathaniel Dove, Global News. There is a 24-hour crisis line available for anyone experiencing pain or distress as a result of their or a loved one's residential school experience. The number is toll-free. It is 1-800-721-0066. U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has become the highest-ranking American leader to visit Ukraine after making a surprise visit in Kyiv today. Pelosi met with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. She pledged more American support for Ukraine during their three-hour meeting. She also promised intelligence sharing will continue. That's been a big part of the Ukrainian defense during the Russian invasion. Ukraine's president says up to 100 civilians have been evacuated from the besieged city of Mariupol. The first group of civilians arrived to safety this morning. They were shepherded out of Mariupol with help of the United Nations, Russia and the International Red Cross. Russian forces have pummeled the city for nearly two months, turning much of the city to ruins, killing untold numbers of fighters and civilians and forcing survivors to live without water, sanitation or food. And coming up after the break, the return of rugby. Fan reaction as Canada's Women's Sevens Tournament is back on in B.C. after pandemic cancellations. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It is officially spring, but not if you head out into the backcountry. And it's that lack of awareness over persistent winter conditions this time of year that causes some hikers to run into trouble. And that has first responders wanting to change that worrisome trend. Paul Johnson reports. Hiked up with the snowshoes all the way up uh, Hollyburn here and went down snowboarding. May 1st, and Eve Cornier is still getting jumps in. Not at Whistler Blackcomb, but right on the North Shore Mountains. The conditions are amazing right now. He figures there's still seven feet of snow in some places. Great conditions if you're an experienced mountain man like Eve, but a trip wrecker or worse if you're not prepared. These young hikers had to be choppered out of the Haynes Valley area Saturday when the going got much worse than they'd planned for. So this is one of the popular hiking trails on Cypress Mountain, and there's still a ton of snow. 
So if you're planning on a hiking trip to one of the North Shore mountains in the next little while, expect conditions that are more like early March than early May. It's May, but it's still winter. We've had a wet, cold spring, so it's keeping that snowpack there. It's not melting quickly. It's not going away fast. Sandra Riches is with the BC Adventure Smart program and says for the next couple of weeks, mountain hikers need to bring the kind of gear and trip planning they'd use for a winter excursion. Easily accessible trails gives false sense of security and because we think it's nice and warm down here, sun's out, bulbs are blooming, that it's okay to go for a hike into the backcountry. No doubt some will still make the mistake of hitting the mountains when they're dressed for Stanley Park. So if you must do that, take some advice from Eve. Don't go too far. Stay close. And especially if you don't have snowshoes, you can get in deep snow very quickly. At Cyprus, Paul Johnson, Global News. And on that note, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell for a look at the forecast. And like we said, it is spring down here. Yes, it certainly felt like it today. A little bit of unsettled conditions. We will have some sunshine in the mix in the long range, and I'll have more coming up in just a moment. But it's cloud cover that we're contending with for this evening. It'll still remain dry for the next few hours, so keep that in mind. Temperatures are sitting at 15, and we've got an easterly wind at around 17 kilometers per hour. A few other numbers in spots across the province, with Kelowna still sitting at 20 degrees, Prince George at 15. And for the north coast near Prince Rupert with a current temperature at 8. Now here's what we're anticipating. This will be the next weather maker that we're tracking that is going to move in across the region. It'll bring rainfall for all areas along the south coast. And the timeline and the plan what we can anticipate is overnight and for tomorrow morning. So a heads up when you're heading out to work and school tomorrow morning. It is going to be a soggy start. But through the day tomorrow it should taper off in terms of the precipitation. And we're likely going to see some breaks in there as well with temperatures getting up to 14. So it's really overnight for tomorrow morning that we'll see the heaviest rainfall and then drying out as we get in towards the afternoon. That's what we're seeing on the future cache with with that wave of moisture areas indicated in green and then it tapers off, moves in for the southern interior and the southeastern corners of the province where we are looking at a few showers in the mix and extending into the southeastern corners. Now rainfall amounts for tomorrow not high but we're going to see anywhere between 5 and up to 10 millimeters and it's more of a heads up that we'll see it for the morning commute tomorrow when you're heading out for work and school. That'll be the key thing to keep in mind. Now the northern half of the province will see breaks through the day. The north coast will see the rainfall developing towards the evening but dry with even a partly cloudy sky and highs closer to 10 degrees. Now the northeastern corners of the province for the peace could still see some wet flurries and then changing over to a chance of showers. Most areas for both the central and southern interior will see a few spotty showers in the mix. It'll be overcast for all areas into the southern interior and highs tomorrow anywhere between 17 and closer to 19 degrees near Kamloops. Whistler will see some breaks for the afternoon. Highs up to 13 degrees. Blip in the forecast along the south coast will be that rainfall for the morning hours, easing off drier conditions as we get in through the day for tomorrow. A bit of fog or drizzle is possible for a Tuesday, something to keep in mind. And for tomorrow, we could see breezy conditions for the morning. Areas near the strait could see those winds up to 40 kilometers per hour, but we should see some drier conditions for tomorrow afternoon. Neithu? Good to know. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, two weeks ago, it was the men who were being cheered on. This weekend, rugby fans are cheering on the women in Langford at the HSBC Canada Women's Sevens Tournament. Starlight Stadium, a much smaller venue than BC Place Stadium, but the fans were no less enthusiastic, particularly after COVID-19 paused all gatherings for the past couple of years.
It's amazing. I love coming here. Every every year we come. We haven't been able to come lately, but uh, this is amazing watching uh, my hometown and the town that I live in now and the country that I live in now. but it has been so tremendously missed. It's just exciting by oh, everyone. Everyone just loves it. Yeah, no, and I think it's, it'll get more popular again next year. That is great energy <laughs> as we bring in Barry DeLay for a preview of what's coming up in sports and a little bit of insight of what some athletes go through, Barry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we will have more with the uh, ladies rugby as well. The Canucks talked uh, to the media for the last time before they uh, disperse for the summer. And uh, yeah, some emotional stuff uh, from Brock Besser, who didn't have the greatest season and uh, probably took a lot of heat from some fans. But uh, Brock's been dealing with uh, some family issues that have uh, really been tough. So kind of a, they, we don't see these athletes uh, uh, this emotional very often they don't let us in but uh, you might want to grab a tissue for this stuff is pretty pretty powerful it is indeed all right thanks for that Barry also ahead bringing light to families who feel ignored they're on the streets trying to find their sisters or mothers or daughters how a BC dance group of family members of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls is marking a major anniversary this May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team, and let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. Less than a week before Red Dress Day, a national day of awareness for the thousands of missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls and two-spirit people on May 5th, a BC group doing the same is celebrating a decade of dance spent honouring the victims. A special event was held in Vancouver this weekend, raising funds and awareness through art. And a warning, some viewers may find the details of this story distressing. The dance team is called Butterflies in Spirit and it's comprised of relatives of victims of violence. Bringing light to the families that are not being spoken of. These families are looking for their loved ones. They're on the streets trying to find their sisters or mothers or daughters. The event featuring a range of presentations of dance and music with one goal, to raise awareness. As an Indigenous woman, I've been, I've been assaulted many times. It's an important message because I think people need to realize that it continues to happen, sadly. The group's founder, Lorelai Williams, whose Indigenous name is Palihalshia, also on stage in front of an image of Tanya Holick, her cousin whose DNA was found on the farm of serial killer Robert Picton. We had to face the back of the screen. It really hit me hard. She says accurate statistics don't exist because tracking these cases isn't a priority. A 2021 National Action Plan report in response to the 2019 inquiry that found violence against this demographic amounts to genocide cites Indigenous women are 12 times more likely to be murdered or missing than non-Indigenous women. This is a huge issue around the world and we need to start collaborating with each other to fight this. 
This comes just weeks after she paid her way to Rome, where she wore what she calls her genocide cape in Vatican City during indigenous delegation meetings with Pope Francis. The missing and murdered indigenous women and girls report uh, finally released. And the day after the event that featured this dancer from Mexico, Judith Camacho, the group already planning the next move, taking their tour to South America, along with their stories. Two years ago, I was attacked by a man with an axe on the streets of Mexico City, and to this day, I'm still seeking justice. I can't go and make people pay attention. Like, I can't go tell them, but when I dance, everybody feels. Because choreographer Madeline McCallum says there's not only power in numbers, but also in performance. Coming up after the break, Barry will be here with the full sports cast and later a cross-country culinary mission. And it just looked like a whole different part of Canada that I'd never seen before. A Nova Scotia man's journey of risking it all to become a restaurant owner and operator on Vancouver Island. Don't miss McHappy Day across Canada. On May 11th, visit a participating McDonald's and a portion of the proceeds from all the food and beverage items sold will be donated to the Ronald McDonald House Charities and other local children's charities. Get immersed in the world of dinosaurs at Jurassic Quest, coming to multiple locations across BC. Observe life-size animatronic dinosaurs, see a live raptor show, rides, inflatables, and more. JurassicQuest.ca for info. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. The Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, before we turn to Barry, thousands of people are saying their final goodbye to Montreal Canadiens legend Guy Lafleur today. It's the first of two public visitations at the Bell Centre in Montreal. A national funeral will then be held on Tuesday. The flower died more than a week ago at the age of 70 following a battle with lung cancer. The mayor of Montreal says it's obvious Lafleur left a lasting impression on both Habs fans and Canadians as a whole. Of course, it is about it's about hockey. This man was a bomb, right? He was amazing. He was so talented, so passionate on the ice, but he was also so passionate and, and generous outside of the ice. And I think that's what we need, especially right now, where. You know, we've been, uh, we're going through COVID. Uh, it's, it's tough out there. All right, and Barry's here for a look at sports, and it is indeed tough out there for more reasons than one, as we learned today, didn't mm -hmm, we? Yeah, through the Canucks, kind of mm -hmm. some unexpected uh, emotion from them. Thanks, yeah. Nithu. Uh, while 16 teams prepare for the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Canucks players met the media for the final time today before dispersing for the summer. We found out that Bo Horvat did, in fact, break his tibia when he blocked that shot a couple of weeks ago, but he won't need surgery. Thatcher Demko dealt with a tweak the final month of the season, he says. He may or may not require surgery. The big question is how much surgery does Canucks management plan on doing over the summer? The players, as you might expect, feel they discovered something under Bruce Boudreaux and want to keep this core intact to give it another shot next season. Our goal is to make the playoffs and that's not okay. So I mean it's a sense of where we failed in that department but um, you know it's you know for next season we have a building block and we have built a little bit up of a little bit of a standard of how we play and you know, what makes our team really, really good and what makes our team not effective. And I think we started to understand that more and more in the last uh, half of the season. And, 
became a very hard team to play against. So, I mean, that, those are exciting things. I couldn't be prouder of the, the group, the way we came together towards the end. And, I mean, went on the run we did. Um, when a lot of people counted us out, we just kept climbing and, and fighting back, even when we had injuries and guys went down with COVID. Everybody stepped up at different times. So um, we got a lot of character in our room. We got a lot of guys that, um, you know, can step up and play anywhere in our lineup. And I think that, um, you know, we should be excited about the future and excited about next year and, and get off to a better start and, and continue that through 82 games. Yeah, with Bruce, ever since he came in, he's just been like a positive influence. Uh, just um, taking his time with me, like, uh, um, and like just being uh, happy with me all the time and just like, do you shoot the park? Like he's been telling me shoot the park all, all year, or ever since he got here. So um, he's been great, great coming in, and of course he was a dolphin, definitely helped me uh, turn around my season. Now, Brock Besser had the least productive season amongst the Canucks core players. 23 goals scored. Not bad, but you expect 30-plus from Besser. But what we don't see is what these players deal with off the ice. Besser's dad, Duke, has been dealing with Parkinson's and dementia, and his health has deteriorated recently, which has taken a big toll on his son. We will warn you, you may require a tissue as you watch this. Sorry. No, I can answer it. He's 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 not doing well. Um, he has pretty bad dementia right now. It's it's uh, onset and it's it's gotten pretty pretty bad this year. And, really hit me hard. Thank you, Brock. We're going to need Brock to be really good if we want to be good. And it's really, I mean, even us, we can't comprehend what he's going through. It's tough for him. And, you know, all we can do is try to be there for him. And we need him next year, like I said. And hopefully, um, you know, I don't want to speak too much on his situation, but hopefully, you know, we can get, be the best support system for him. Now you saw how emotional Pedersen was there as well. He's very close with Besser. So you do see, uh, do you see a very tight-knit group of young men who care for each other beyond what happens on the ice. Later this week, we'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux and Canucks management getting their take on what may happen this summer as far as players and coaching moves. So stay tuned. Now, the NHL regular season actually officially ended today. The uh, Kraken and Jets had to make up that game was postponed due to the big snowstorm in Manitoba last month. And it looked like Seattle might uh, finish off the season on a bright note. Riley Shane gave him a 3-1 lead, but the Jets rally in the third. Kyle Connor with his 47th 4-3 Jets win. Kraken finished 30th out of 32 in their inaugural season, so they'll get a good draft pick this June. Vancouver Giants are on the verge of an historic upset in the Western League playoffs. Last night in Everett, Adam Hall scored here to give them a 1-0 lead. Jesper Weichmann, meanwhile, their goaltender, a big save late in the first. The uh, Swede made 40 saves through the first two periods. Third period, still 1-0 Giants. And from the scramble, the other Swede on the team, Fabian Lysel, scores on the wraparound. 2-0 Vancouver. Everett pressed uh, but could not 
solved Weichmann. Another great save late. A franchise record 50 save shutout. Giants win 3 nothing. They can win the series tomorrow night in Game 6 at the LEC, 7 o'clock. No 8 seed has ever beaten the number 1 seed in the Western League playoffs. Baseball today, Blue Jays and Astros completing their three-game set at Rogers Center. Jays did not have a hit until the 6th, and they made the first one count. After a walk, Bo Bichette shakes a long slump with a two-run homer to right. Jays led 2-1. Kevin Gossman uh, was terrific again on the mound. He went seven strong innings, struck out 10, and he left the game tied 2-2. But in the bottom of the seventh, the Jays will take the lead. Santiago Espinal with a clutch base hit to left scores Matt Chapman. Actually, first of all, let's just uh, watch this catch by George Springer. We didn't show that. The Jays were up 3-2 when George made a big catch to end the ball game, and the Jays win it by the final of 3-2. They play New York tomorrow, New York's won nine straight. Canadian tennis fans, uh, Bianca Andreescu is back, and she is starting to play a lot like the dominant force who won the U.S. Open back in 2019. She's had a lot of injuries the last couple of years. Recently, she took about four months off to recharge her batteries and get herself mentally right to get back on court, and we are starting to see that passion return. Today in Madrid, Andreescu was in top form, blasting a very good player, sixth seed Danielle Collins, in straight sets to advance to the round of 16. Bianca trying to find her form on the red clay with the French Open just a couple of weeks away. Andrescu will jump all over the second serve of Collins and smash the return winner. Bianca, six straight games won to take the opening set 6-1, and she kept the pedal down in the second set, really moving well. Loads up the forehand winner right there, jumps out for love in the second set. Bianca's best match it feels like in over a year, just nine unforced errors, another big backhand winner, and Bianca rolls 6-1, 6-1, and she will play next on Tuesday against American Jessica Pagula, who is the number 12 seed. Meanwhile, Leila Annie Fernandez of Montreal, the 17 seed, took on Jill Teichman of Switzerland. Layla's had some mixed results this year. One in Mexico, but has had some early exits as well. Nice drop shot here. That's one of her signature shots, but still lost the opening set 6-4. It was a tight second set on serve at 4-all, but Teichman will hit a fantastic winner inside the line. She would get the break of serve, and she took out Layla Annie 6-4-6-4. So just Andrescu remaining as Canadian content for the women at Madrid. On the men's side, Shapovalov plays his opening match tomorrow. Aliasim on Tuesday. NBA playoffs. Game one, Eastern Conference semis, Bucks and Celtics. Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks sending notice today. They are very much in the mix to defend their title. Giannis passes to himself off the backboard before jamming it in. He had a triple double, 24 points, 13 rebounds, 12 assists. Bucks win the opener 101 89. Meanwhile, in the West, Golden State Warriors on the road in Memphis for game one against the Grizzlies, who vacated Vancouver just 21 years ago. Wow. Time flies. Draymond Green got ejected in the first half for this flagrant foul on Brandon Clark. He's the Warriors' best defensive player. Ja Morant was spectacular today. Drives to the basket, lays it in. 
game-high 34, but he missed the free throw, and that would prove costly because with 40 seconds to go, Warriors with the inbound, and it's Clay Thompson knocking down the three. The Splash Brothers can still get it done. Thompson with the clutch shot. Steph Curry led the way with 24, and the Warriors take game one, 117-116. English Premiership, Everton and Chelsea. Everton in 18th place, needs to get busy to avoid relegation, and they did get busy today. Richarlison with the steal and the goal, the only one of the match. Huge win for Everton. 1-0 the final. They're just uh, two points now behind 17th place lead with a match in hand, so it will go down to the wire. HSBC Rugby 7, or no, we've got a little bit of uh, golf here first. The Mexico Open. John Rahm is uh, the leader at this point. When the day began, and it was actually tied for the lead when he rolled in that birdie at 14, and he would end up with a one-shot lead over uh, three different golfers, including Tony Finau. First win since the U.S. Open last year at Torrey Pines. And now we've got some HSBC Rugby 7s from Langford. Canada taking on New Zealand in the Cup quarterfinals. Canada won two of three yesterday, but New Zealand was on another level today. Portia Woodman will uh, take it in for the try, and then New Zealand will pull away in the second half as they easily won this one 38-0. But Canada did just beat Fiji and then the USA to finish fifth. We'll have highlights of those matches tonight at 11. Australia beat to New Zealand to win it all, but for Canada, some positive steps forward. We know we're in a uh, in a development piece, but we want to make sure that we, we give some results for for for, uh, for the community and, and for rugby in Canada to be proud of. Uh, we're not far away, um, and, and we, we want to have results that we're proud of. We've had performances that we're proud of, but now we want to turn them into results. Yeah, so fifth place for them. Excellent. And as mentioned, we'll have some highlights of those games tonight. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Speaking of Vancouver Island, we'll be right back with how a call from a childhood friend sent a Nova Scotia man packing and laying deep roots on BC's coast. Well, it takes a spirit of adventure and big dreams to move right across the country to start a new life. A Nova Scotia transplant did just that, heading to Tofino on a friend's tip and ended up capitalizing on his culinary skills and love of music to establish roots in the community. Here's Jay Durant with tonight's This Is BC. Love the whole process. You get to go in and start your day by lighting a fire. Ronnie Lee came to BC with big aspirations, and it happened suddenly when the Maritimer's childhood friend called from Tofino and told him to come out and try his barbecue skills out west. But I'd never even heard of it. So once I, I went online while I was on the phone with him, and I started looking at the mountains and the beaches, and it just looked like a whole different part of Canada that I'd never seen before. So he packed up everything and sold the gold chain around his neck to get some gas money for the trip. I needed some cash to get across the country, so I went into the pawn shop and finally pawned it after, I don't know, like 20 years having the thing. $2,200 for a fresh start. He launched his restaurant, Little Ronnie's, and has made some incredible connections in the community, helping to kickstart the music scene, which has allowed some artists to get some recording time. His annual free holiday meal giveaway started when a storm wiped out power to many homes. This was his way to help, and it's been growing every year since. We try and be very inclusive of all the, all the surrounding communities as well. So uh, last winter we were able to feed over 1,200 people, and we, um, we even sent a lot of that food by boat off to some of the local First Nations communities. The smoker he pulled across Canada is called Johnny Cash because it's been everywhere, man. Now he's working with Billy, named after a local Tofino resident. Inside. 
Ronnie's a new dad. Lucas is just seven weeks old, but is still there for the live music. Where'd you find me? I got him uh, noise-canceling headphones, so I try and bring him around as much as possible. One day, he'll hear the story about how his dad chased his dream from one end of Canada to the other, proving that a little gas money can go a long way. Yeah, I love Tofino, and I love all the people here, and I'm very, very grateful for them welcoming me with open arms. Making me feel like I have earned a spot in this town. Jay Durant, Global News. Well, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people should know about, you can email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Well, he did choose a beautiful part of the country. <laughs> Final look at the forecast for BC. We are looking at some rain that'll be on the way. Most of it picks up overnight, takes us in towards the morning hours. Some breaks as we get in towards the afternoon. And then a bit of on and off cloud cover with a bit of drizzle in the mix over the next few days. Good to know. All right. Thanks very much for sharing some of your weekend with us. Krista Dow will be here at 11. Have a great night, all.